China has announced it will suspend tariff relief for 12 Taiwanese petrochemical products starting January 1, 2024. The products, which include propene and butadiene, currently have reduced tariffs under the Economic Cooperation Framework Agreement. Trade analyst Xie Jinghe says that last year Taiwan's exports to China under ECFA accounted for just 20.5 billion U.S. worth or about 11 percent of the total. As such, the suspension will not have a big impact, he says. The same sentiment is shared by Economics Minister Wang Meihua. Let's hear from her and Xie. It is very clearly economic coercion. The impact will be rather limited. Previously, more than 40% of our exports went to China. But this year until November, our share of exports to China fell to 35%. Let's look at textile exports to China. Last year, we exported about 556 million US dollars worth. On the petrochemical sector, that was about 6.43 billion US dollars worth. They both decreased by more than 30%. The 12 kinds of products affected will mostly impact the Formosa Plastics Group. The impact on Formosa Petrochemical a subsidiary of Formosa Plastic Group will be rather limited, as the company has two plants in China producing about 160,000 to 200,000 tons of propane every month. The firm has also built a propane dehydrogenation plant in the Chinese city of Ningbo, which has already started trial operations. Formosa Chemicals and Fiber Corporation Chair Huang Hong Fuyuan says his company had long had a strategy laid out to minimize impact in case China changed its policy on Taiwan imports. As election campaigning draws to a close, DPP presidential candidate Lai Qingde has launched a round-the-island trip. Lai and his running mate Xiaobi Kim will journey all over Taiwan for four days and three nights to rally DPP supporters. Lai's first stop on Thursday was Ilan, which he dubbed the Holy Land of Democracy. Lai promised that if elected, he will extend the high-speed rail system into Ilan and make the Suhua Highway safer. DPP presidential candidate Lai Qingde, in a final sprint before Election Day, has launched a four-day, three-night round-the-island campaigning blitz. The first stop was Yilan, which Lai dubbed the holy land of democracy. Lai dances and sings a song about supporting Taiwan, and the crowd goes wild. They didn't seem to mind the cold weather. The atmosphere in the crowd was on fire. For the first stop of this event, I chose to set forth from Ilan County, the holy land of democracy. The most important significance is to show the world that Taiwanese people will not yield to authoritarianism and will firmly follow the path of democracy. I'm asking everyone to once again use the ballot in your hand to choose the right person who is taking the right path. As he called on everyone to choose the right person so that Taiwan's democracy and freedom could be protected, he also announced policies of benefit to Yilan, Hualien and Taidong. If Elon is to develop, transportation infrastructure should keep pace. 
I will promote the extension of the high-speed rail into Yilan and continue with the environmental vision of the Lake County Commissioner Chen Dingnan and fully promote geothermal power generation. When Lai's supporters in Yilan caught sight of him, they gave him a full thumbs up. Lai has more political vision and more guts. His political platforms are better and he's younger. The other candidates are fools. His abilities and those of Xiaobi Kim are hundreds of times better than the others. A camera takes an aerial shot of the word choose that's been formed by supporters holding cardboard placards over their heads. Lai's next stops will be Hualien and Taidung, where his supporters will spell out right person and right path. Lai plans to travel all over Taiwan and work with all his campaign headquarters in each city and county. He hopes to mobilise his supporters and motivate people to vote. The TPP on Thursday held a press conference to voice complaints about the first televised policy presentation hosted by FTV the previous day. The party accused FTV of manipulating the footage of the broadcast to cut out more than 40 seconds of remarks by Ke Wenzhe. But FTV explained that what actually happened is that YouTube suffered a glitch that caused a lag of 44 seconds. That in turn was automatically deleted by the video platform in its final upload of the video. FTV says that it re-uploaded the video, the footage, to platform as soon as it discovered the fault, rejecting claims that it had intentionally tempered with the video. Ke Wenzhe's campaign team on Thursday held a press conference to voice complaints about the previous day's televised policy presentation hosted by FTV. They say 44 seconds of the footage is missing from the broadcast uploaded on YouTube. As a broadcaster, why is FTV removing such important footage? Why are they editing out from the broadcast they uploaded? We demand an answer. Kerr's camp was aggrieved, accusing FTV of deliberately editing out parts of the presentation. The missing footage happens to be of Kerr speaking on his social housing policy, a key point on his platform. The FTV's online news department manager Scott Chen personally went to the press conference to offer an explanation. We were watching the live broadcast of the event as it was happening, and so during those 44 seconds, YouTube experienced lagging issues. It's like when you're watching a video and it stops playing. Later in the live stream upload, it looked like it had been edited out. But what happened is that when YouTube packages live streams for upload, it automatically removes any laggy parts. So that's why that part disappeared. Did we cut the part out? No, we don't do that. And there's no need to go out of our way to stir up trouble and cut 44 seconds out of the upload. Chen said that FTV's outgoing signal was stable, and thus the problem was likely on the receiving side, which resulted in lag. That caused YouTube to produce a video with a shorter duration than others, without any human involvement. Chen pointed out that FTV's broadcast on Facebook had not been affected by the technical problem, and therefore featured the missing footage. The outgoing signals for YouTube and for Facebook were the same. So why would we cut off 44 seconds just from the YouTube version? As such a large news and media outlet, FTV should have informed us out of politeness that you were going to come here and give a response, admitting that there is indeed 44 seconds of missing footage on the FTV upload. 
Kurt's camp said Chen had come uninvited and continued to complain about the missing footage. FTV explained that after it discovered the glitch, it immediately uploaded a full version of the broadcast together with an apology. The Central Election Commission has also jumped into the row to clarify the facts. Yesterday's presidential policy presentations in audio and video channels provided by FTV and the official website of the Central Election Commission were broadcast entirely in accordance with the law. The CEC said there were no irregularities with FTV's broadcast and that the election was indeed fair and just. The U.S. State Department on Wednesday held its annual year-end press conference. Secretary of State Antony Blinken gave a speech of about 40 minutes outlining Washington's policy for 2024. The plans including maintaining peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. Let's hear what he said. For deepening cooperation and coordination between NATO and our Indo-Pacific allies. These efforts have allowed us to engage more effectively when tackling areas of concern like China's course of trade and economic practices, peace and stability in the Taiwan Straits and the East and South China Seas, and human rights. In his speech, Blinken said that Washington could continue to engage with China while strengthening its ties with partners in the Indo-Pacific region. He pointed to the U.S.-Japan-South Korea trilateral summit, which has brought the three nations into a new mode of cooperation. He also said that the U.S.'s relations with the Philippines and India were only warming up. Blinken also said that the Group of Seven and the European Union would continue to counter challenges from Beijing. He added that the relevant authorities would continue in close communication with Beijing to reduce the risk of miscalculation. The winners of the first Taurus Spotlight Awards have been revealed. They were chosen through a public vote with almost 2 million votes cast, as well as inspections from Taurus tourism experts from various fields. Minister of Transportation Wang Guocai was on hand to congratulate the award winners at a special ceremony. Taiwan's domestic tourism is back to pre-pandemic levels, he said. The award winners also had a chance to talk about their achievements. To the sound of a battle drum, warriors from the Tso indigenous group slapped their arms in the opening ceremony of the Tourist Spotlight Awards. The village of Veo Veo Anna was one of the victims of Typhoon Morakot. We have gathered together eight villages and people can have a rich experience of Tso culture. Visitors who would like to be a hunter can try out traditional archery. Last year, Julu Park in Jiayi started a trial tourism project that combines the cultures of several villages. Visitors can experience aspects of indigenous culture and enjoy a traditional meal. The project won the awards for tourist experience and best international recommendation. The Jingwu wine cellar has been officially open to the public since December 2022. We have always stored all our own liquor and we use stainless steel vats, so under the lighting, they really shine in the spotlight. Jin Mangalian Liquor's Jingwu wine cellar won the most popular award. 
It has been open to the public 72 years after the company was founded. Its granite tunnel walls are deeply scented with liquor and an artistic lighting design delights large numbers of visitors. Domestic tourist trips have in fact recovered to the same level as before the pandemic, very busy. Our 16 representative offices abroad will do their utmost to promote these destinations. The award-winning tourist destinations will be promoted by Taiwan's de facto embassies abroad in the hope of encouraging more visitors from at home and overseas to discover more of Taiwan. President Tsai Ing-wen on Thursday went south to Pingdong for the inauguration of a new building at the Hunchun Tourism Hospital. The building contains the first MRI scanner and the first hyperbaric oxygen therapy chamber in the Hunchun Peninsula. Tsai said she hoped the building would help people in rural areas have better access to medical resources to establish a medical safety net for Taiwan's southernmost areas. President Tsai Ing-wen on Thursday headed south for the inauguration ceremony of a new medical building at the Hengchun Tourism Hospital. The plan for the facility was approved in 2017 by then-Premier Lin Chen. And now the project is complete. But in addition to this, Tsai urged the Ministry of Health and Welfare to also set up a network of medical professionals across Pingdong. I'd like to ask the Ministry of Health and Welfare to help the Hengchun Tourism Hospital and appoint local specialist teams. After all, we have this new building, so it should be filled with good physicians. I hope it can strengthen cooperation with nearby hospitals so that residents in the southernmost part of our country have equal access to medical resources. We hope to continue improving the medical resources and quality in this area. Nearby Kanding attracts about 6 million tourists to the Hengchun Peninsula every year. The new medical building is equipped with the peninsula's first MRI scanner and hyperbaric oxygen therapy chamber. The Ministry of Health and Welfare says that starting next year, it will also have a cardiac catheterization room. Now we have introduced the first MRI scanner in the Hengchun Peninsula and a brand new hyperbaric oxygen therapy chamber. I think the main thing here is that now the people in southern Pingdong will not have to be redirected elsewhere for acute and critical care. This is an important milestone, a new start for the Hengchun Tourism Hospital to take on new responsibilities. The government has taken care to improve medical resources in the area so that patients with severe conditions can get treatment locally. That is hoped to reduce the risks associated with transportation to other centres, as well as general inconvenience. The building shows Tsai is making good on her promise to take care of her hometown Pingdong. Artificial intelligence continues capturing headlines. The Industrial Technology Research Institute is working with the government, industry and research agencies to bring the latest AI technologies into healthcare. These efforts have yielded results. For example, an AI-powered chatbot can keep older adults company. Another inno innovation is an AI system that can assess the pain levels of patients by reading their facial expressions. Itri held an event to show off the fruits of its collaborations, saying that it hopes the smart medical care industry will grow to become one of Taiwan's most important industries. 
Its eyes blink and move as it chats with the human. This adorable AI-powered chatbot is designed to engage with older adults to keep loneliness at bay. Then there is this camera system, which can recognize expressions even if the patient is wearing a face mask. The system scans the eyes and eyebrows to assess the level of pain a patient is in by harnessing AI. This full-time severe pain assessment system was developed by Etri and can help reduce direct contact with patients in severe conditions to minimize the risk of infection. We have several models of cooperation with the Kaohsiung Veterans General Hospital and Taichung Veterans General Hospital on the front of patients with acute pain, chatbots and so on. We have about 30 cooperative projects which have already generated more than 20 million NT in business opportunities. It involves managing data about the disease, but also the lifestyle and habits of the patient. For example, if they exercise and how intense it is. All these data points have to be managed and then combined. Currently, the industry's development is heading in that direction. Eatree's Alliance for Lohas and Smart Healthcare held an event to showcase its results. Experts came together to exchange ideas on how digital technologies and AI can offer more complete care to patients with chronic diseases and older adults. The Ministry of Digital Affairs is planning to promote these technologies starting next year. We will also support and invest in these solutions for improving healthcare for older adults and solutions that help carers. The global digital healthcare market had a value of 35.3 million US dollars in 2022 and is expected to grow to 1 trillion US dollars in 2028. Smart medical technology is at the center of development. Etri is working together with several agencies to build up the healthcare industry into one of Taiwan's most important industries. A wave of antisocial parking behavior around the scenic area of Hehuanshan has led several parking lots to institute charges. Many of the private parking lots in the region are free, but vehicles have been found monopolizing the spaces long term, making it difficult for visitors to find a space. Qingjing Farm has been one of the first to introduce charges with mixed results. Some say they can understand the need for a fee but think it should be set lower. Other parking lots plan to follow suit. The private parking lot by Qingjing Farm is empty. Only a coach stops to drop off some visitors. In the past, the lot was free to use and packed to bursting. That led some vehicles to occupy the spaces permanently. But parking fees were introduced on December 18th, and the previous occupants have vanished. As far as I'm concerned, as tourists, we're paying users, so that's made the through flow in the parking lot better. It's not a bad thing, but I think the parking charges could be a bit cheaper. The nearby Mist Plaza and Swiss Garden are both run by external operators. They used to offer free parking, but because the spaces would be occupied by long-term users, they introduced charges. 50 NT an hour for small cars and 100 NT an hour for large vehicles, with no upper limit. It would be okay if they charged you by the number of visits, but charging by the hour has a big impact. 
Meanwhile, further up Hehuanshan, crowds are huge at weekends and holidays. Wuling parking lot is free, and spaces are hard to come by. The Nanto branch of the Forestry and Nature Conservation Agency has started planning a parking charge, which it plans to implement in March next year. We will have different prices for weekdays and weekends and holidays. Weekdays will be 50 NT an hour, and weekends and holidays 60 NT. The maximum charge for one day will be 300 NT. In principle, scooters will have a flat charge of 20 NT. I think there are pros and cons to charging. If they charge, maybe they can maintain the place better. The parking lots, which are slated to introduce changes, include those at Ouling, Kunyang, and Hehuan Villa. The cold strengthened its grip on Taiwan, sending temperatures plummeting. The northern peak of Yushan hit a low of minus one degree in the early hours of Thursday morning. Over in the flatlands, the lowest temperature was 8.5 degrees at New Taipei's Fugui Cape on Thursday afternoon. The Central Weather Administration says there's a possibility of snowfall at altitudes above 1,500 meters in the north and northeast from Thursday night to the early hours of Friday morning. Areas at 2,500 meters above sea level in the northeast and central regions could see rime ice, that is, ice formations on trees and other surfaces. The cold wave is expected to weaken on Saturday, but another cold front is expected to arrive on Sunday. So expect a cold Christmas.